Hello and welcome back to the Creative Unblocked Podcast. This is Jake, and in this episode, Margaret and I sit down to discuss the topic, Are We Born Creative Geniuses? We hope you enjoy this episode, and we'll jump right in to our conversation. Margaret, you found a quote before we started to record this episode that you were going to share um, at the very top. So why don't you start off with the quote that you found and talk a little bit about uh, what that quote means to you and how it kind of segues into what we're going to be talking about today. Yes. So this quote says, every child is an artist. The problem is how to remain an artist once he grows up Mm. by Pablo Picasso. Mm. And so looking at that quote, uh, obviously he's saying that kind of every child's born, everyone's born creative. And I know that you absolutely believe that. The problem is how to remain an artist once we grow up. So why, in your opinion, does that become a problem? Um, As we start to get older, uh, why do we start to lose that creative side of ourselves? Sure. So I think that what's interesting about when children create, um, they, in essence, from zero to around seven, they are really creating from a subconscious mind. So Mm -hmm. they're forming their ideas. They're forming their personalities. That's why they dress up. They put on different clothes. They put on different personas because nothing is solidified yet. Mm. So when they come to create, what's really interesting about it is it it comes from such an intuitive place to where they don't have to look at anything. They're Mm. not analyzing to make to make a replication of something. They're virtually working from just their inner imagination. And what's interesting about this is um, just the use of color. Mm the way they interact with the materials. But what is also really interesting is when they explain something to you as a child, the symbolism or the object can change within the story, Mm. um, which I think is very interesting. um, And I wish more adults did. And I think that there's a lot of genius behind that, Mm. that we don't get so connected to something that it has to look exactly the way that we uh, think it is, but we can constantly weave in and out of it changing stories, mm. changing um, the whole thought behind it. You were recently on a podcast with Garrett Wood uh, called Dare to Move, and you talked a little bit about on that podcast what happens to us early in life that may restrict and starts to create, because it doesn't, it doesn't come naturally. So we have two little girls we've talked about earlier that, they have no resistance towards creativity. They are just, and if you have kids in your house, you know they are constantly creative. So reference a little bit about what you talked about in the podcast about how does it start to develop early on uh, this resistance and fear towards creativity? Sure. So it seems to happen around middle school or uh, upper elementary school. And Mm. what ends up happening is when our consciousness starts settling in, our personality starts settling in. And for the first time, when we go to create, we want it to look exactly like how we see it. So Mm. for instance, if we're drawing a still life or a person or a face, if it doesn't look exactly the way that we see it, we end up giving up. So that's obviously um, when you start to move into middle school uh, and even some upper elementary, you're starting to kind of get graded more on creativity and and you're painting towards um, an object versus it being something more subjective. Is that what you're saying? That a lot of times part of the way that we're we're brought up in school is that's when um, we start to be graded and start to be analyzed on our creativity. Yes. If, if there's, um, The quickest way to uh, prevent someone from creating is for that 
individual to think that they're going to be judged on it. Mm. So if I, for instance, so um, there's steps that I have to take even when I create Mm. that I have to make sure that I go into a judgment-free zone that I'm not worried because that's what ends up happening with a lot of artists in general is already editing it before you even start the process. Mm. So that's the reason... I always emphasize focusing on the process, mm. the play portion of it, mm. because if, um, you know, and we were just recently talking to a friend of ours, a producer, mm. and he was making the point that so many people get lost in the music industry. So many people get lost in what are people wanting to be played? What are people wanting out there to hear? Yeah. And that is very similar to artists and that you can't focus on that because you can get so lost mm. in trying to please everyone else mm. that so much of creativity in the process should be about what you feel motivated to do mm. and not the end product. Yeah. And that's interesting because I remember we were having, uh, I was with you, obviously we were having dinner uh, with this music producer in town and he was saying that the people that struggle the most Paradoxically, because you would think, uh, as a especially as music's gotten tighter financially with the streaming and no more, no, you don't go to Walmart or Target to buy albums anymore, uh, that you would kind of need to be ahead of the curve. But he was saying the people that have done the best have just kind of said, "I'm I'm putting my roots and this is who I am. This is how I create," um, and kind of riding with riding with that. It also sounds like what you're saying is that as a child, you're creating from your 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 nonlinear your um, your creative intuitive side. And as you get older, all of a sudden this analytical side starts to develop and then it takes over what the right hemisphere, it's like the right hemisphere has got a party started and the left hemisphere comes in and, and kind of ruins it because it's it's not necessarily going to be helpful to be analytical. Well, if you think about it too, um, I don't think that it's a coincidence that in an elementary school, you're not really graded on what you're doing. You're just graded on if you completed it or not. Mm. But then in middle school, you start getting graded on it. So, mm. um, so much of um, when you're introduced and taught art techniques is all is most likely going to be in the art class. Mm. And so in middle school, when then you're given a number that relates to the project that you did is uh, inadvertently probably the worst possible way to go about it. Yeah. It sounds like, too, that um, it can happen even outside of school. So I know we talked about this earlier with it could be something as simple as, you know, your mom or dad or grandparent or uncle making a small remark, one small remark that may have even been a joke from their perspective, um, or as simple as being in an art class and you're attempting to draw something and you become discouraged because, as you mentioned earlier, it doesn't look like that. And so this showed up for me because um, I love, I was obviously... uh, a 90s kid. So I I love to create and draw those classic 90s Aladdin, Lion King. And I had a friend that was So how old were you at this point? I was probably in second grade. So this would have been second, third grade. And um I loved to draw them, but uh and thought I was doing pretty good until I looked over at my friend over here uh in class that was really doing a really good job. And I just felt like it, I, I, I didn't enjoy it anymore because he was doing better. And if, if I couldn't do it as well as he did, then I'm just gonna stop doing it. So what you're saying is a lot of times when you're creating, 
the perfectionism of we have to do it perfect right. or else we give up. I see that in so many people where um, if they can't do it right, mm. if, if you can't create like a master would, mm. the very first time you try to do something and what people don't realize is just like artists, any type of artist, mm. um, a songwriter or a musician or um, a fine artist or anything that they're creating a craft is we know them when they're at the top of their game. Right. We don't see the years and years behind it where they have uh, really worked on their craft for years and years and years. And for instance, there was um, a saying, um, a story about Pablo Picasso where he was doing these portraits for people and he would sit down and they would sit down in front of him and he, he'd quickly, I think he took like 30 minutes mm. um, to do their portrait and then he would um, ask for the money and then they would pay him. And one of the individuals asked him, he said, but you only spent 30 minutes on this. He goes, no, you don't realize that I've spent a lifetime learning mm. this craft. Mm. And so I think we always, we seem as a society to shorten the, um, the, uh, the craft mm. of creating because we're not seeing the discipline and the time and, um, and the willpower to mm. keep on moving on to learn a craft for mm. years and years before you get the end product. So even if the product only does take that artist a very small amount of time, um, you can't belittle the quality of it just because you didn't actually document and see the years and years and years of, of mm. how long they worked on it. And that is one instance that I think it's very interesting that Instagram um, has kind of come about that I think for the first time people see just the hours and hours and hours and mm. product, uh, so many products that people create mm. in order to um, increase their ability. Mm. I wanted to reference um, this article that we found uh, that I had found a couple weeks ago that really shocked me, and it really weighs into a lot of what you're talking about. There was this guy named George Land back in the late 60s, in 1968, uh, with Beth Jarman. Uh, they conducted a research study to test the creativity of 1,600 children, ranging in ages from 3 to 5 years old, who were enrolled at a Head Start program. And so this was the same creativity test that he devised for NASA, uh, to help select innovative engineers and scientists. And the assessment worked so well that he decided to try it on children. And he this is the key part here. He retested the same children at age 10 years of age and then again at 15 years of age. Um, and this test was to look at a problem and to come up with new, different, innovative ideas. And the results were astounding. Um, the proportion of people who scored at the genius level were amongst five-year-olds, 98%. Amongst 10-year-olds, 30%. That's a huge drop-off. Amongst 15-year-olds, 12%. And the same test was given to 280,000 adults. The average age of 31 was 2%. And to me, that is a really startling thing that as you get older, it seems like you need it more. And yet what it's saying is that, I mean, the test parameter is to look at a problem and to come up with new, different, innovative ideas. Like, that's so important as a life skill, and you're telling me that the people that are age five and below have it mastered, and people that are in their 30s, nobody has it mastered. So can you talk a little bit about part of this decline as you get older, you know, in your opinion, in your experience, where is this decline coming from, and how does it show up and manifest with problems in our lives? 
Sure. So in my opinion, obviously there's probably lots of opinions about um, this, but in my opinion, I think really what it comes down to is uh, societal pressure to um, start using more of the analytical mind, the linear mind, mm. um, in order to test take better, in order to um, uh, to get a good job. Mm. Um, there's a right or wrong. There's not. Um, there's not multiple viewpoints. Um, and I think that's so interesting to think about. That is basically what you're saying is that. In order to solve a problem, you have to incorporate the concept of play and freedom. Mm. So what ends up happening as we grow up, we realize, oh, no, they want to box us in a little bit more. Mm. They want to box us in a little bit more. And before we know it, we have learned that in order to function in society, we are now given these parameters that mm. we have to make decisions in. And then we forget this whole part of ourselves that we can access at any given point that could be um, so beneficial. Mm. And it sounds like part of most kids from zero to five, I would imagine, feel very safe. They feel very protected. And uh, the need, it's almost like the need to problem solve isn't at a dire, I mean, let's be honest, like, you know, as you get older, things get more intense and you kind of lose that sense of, uh, security. You kind of lose that sense. So I wonder how much of, how much of that decline isn't necessarily, um, anything more than moving from being much more right hemisphere based, intuitive, creative, seeing the whole picture, imaginative versus things are getting serious. And now I need to start getting analytical and start figuring things out. Yet it's the one thing that helps us move past um, our problems. I guess the last thing that I wanted to, to, to cover as we um, talk about this is, from your experience, um, how, how does focusing on, I know when we um, work with people, um, we work with our clients and, our, and the coaching side of it, um, we start with fear and we start with grounding. And you designed it specifically that way. And so can you talk a little bit about why you start, um, whenever you're working with a client, why do you start with fear and grounding as the, as the base point before you move into anything else with a client? Sure. So just to back up a little bit, um, I think it's important, um, to realize that resistance never goes away. Um, even for someone that's been creating for, for a lifetime, it gets easier, but it's Mm -hmm. always there. And so it's important for people when they start doing these activities, um, especially um, for my clients um, specifically, because uh, in order for them to have these aha moments, um, this state of inspiration, it's important to know that the resist- the resistance will come. Right. But just to understand that and then to step through that mm. and, and expect it. Mm. Uh, so a lot of the process that we go through is doing just that. That's the whole reason I created the Creative and Block in the first place was mm. as an artist, I was finding myself having a difficult time going into the studio and creating something that I was happy with because I had this internal dialogue going on at the same time. Um, that was belittling, mm. judging, um, and making me feel small. Mm. So then I tried to figure out what are some parameters and steps that I can put into place that I can play more, that I'm in a judge-free zone, mm. that I can explore and experiment, which is very similar to what children do. Mm. So basically, um, that's why we start off with 
um, the first section being more about um, safety and security mm-hmm. and um, a judgment-free zone because what we've learned as children and just um, just like we do as adults, we realize very quickly when we go into a room, we are not going to express ourselves if we do not feel safe. Right. So how many situations do individuals on a regular basis even feel that they can step into a room and feel safe in the first place? So half the battle is with my clients is making sure that they feel safe Mm. and that they can freely express themselves, freely explore and experiment Mm. just like we do as children. Mm. Because we know from research that the biggest takeaway from children that excel in life um, and do really well are the ones that you have to have that foundation of safety first right. because nobody is going to be creating anything if mm. they don't feel first feel safe. Mm. And, and, and specifically when um, you've walked clients through it and they have that aha moment, what they're saying is very similar to this test where it says they, they had a problem and they come up with it and they come up with a new and different innovative idea. Is there anything that you would recommend something easy that um, someone could start incorporating um, that uh, they could put into their routine this week or over the next couple of weeks to kind of help them ground and to um, get out of that fearful analytical side of their their mind and their consciousness and move over to uh, that right hemisphere that can calm them and um, help them see a little bit of a larger picture. Yeah, so I think that um, one aspect that seems to be the most beneficial, especially for clients that start working with us early on, is um, is going in nature seems mm-hmm. to be the most beneficial because it's a way of getting out of that analytical side. You have to evaluate your surroundings so you're in touch with your senses more mm-hmm. and for a lot of different reasons, it seems to just kind of help people calm themselves down um, in order to um, create from a more pure place. Thanks so much for sitting down again uh, for this episode, and we will be back next time. Uh, and uh, take care of yourself. We'll talk to you soon. For more information on The Creative Unblock, you can find us online at www.thecreativeunblock.com. Thanks and take care.